I'm going to share again this evening um, what I started last week, looking at, at God's signature. And um, really what we've, we've, been lo- we've been looking at, suffering and the glory, but tonight, we're, again, just like we did last week, we've been getting into the glory now and the glory aspect of this. And God wants us to glory. Many know God wants us to glory. Amen. And um, last week, what we really done last week was to, we started to look at glory and what glory is. And I was saying that glory is God's signature. And everything that God does has glory in it. Everything that God makes has glory in it. But some things have more glory or less glory in it. And really, when you talk about glory, you're talking about God's ability. You're talking about God's creativity, his weightiness. What, what he does when he puts his attributes on display and everything that God makes, he put glory in it and it reflects him it reflects that he created it it reflects that there's a great God and that's why the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of the God in other words they're shouting out all the time 24-7 it's a, it's, a, it's, it's a message that goes out every day and that is that there's a God I'm here I created all of this and I'm an awesome God. And that's what it's screaming out and showing. It's displaying God's attributes. But we looked last week and we seen that God's crown and glory was who? Man. God's crown and glory was man. And we are God's crown and glory. And the greatest creation that God ever made was mankind. And you, you see that in Scripture. Psalm 8 um, talks about that word. lets us know that we're God's crown and glory. Hebrews chapter 2 talks about that as well. But we've seen last week that when man sinned, man stopped glory in the way God designed him to glory. We'll put, we'll put it this way last week. Um, that, you know, the, the glory of a fish is that it can swim. The glory of a bird is that it can fly. And the glory of man is how God designed man and that is to rule and reign in life. That's our glory. But you know what? Man can't glory under sin. And we've seen that, you know, just like a fish. If you take a fish out of water, it can't glory. And if you take, if you take um, a, a bird and put it in a cage, it can't glory. And I tell you, when you take man and put man under sin, it limits man to what man is meant to be. And when man sinned, the Bible says that man fell short of the glory of God. And he stopped being able to do what he's meant to do. But you know what? We're meant to glory. But through Jesus, I started to look at this last week, and this is what I want to continue on tonight. Through Jesus, we rule and reign in life. Amen? Through Jesus, we're designed to rule and reign. We're designed to have dominion and to have authority. That's, that's the way man's designed. But it's only found, we can only find that now through Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to bring us back to the position that we once had. In actual fact, it's even greater now. And, and, that's, and that's what I want to look at tonight. I want to look at ruling and reigning tonight. And I want to really get down to looking at righteousness tonight. That's what I want to look at this evening for a bit. Um, let, me, let me just show us. Here's a, a wonderful picture here. And really that's what I'm going to talk on tonight about the righteousness of God and that we are righteous. And really if we want to talk about ruling and reigning, we need to know who we are. You'll never rule and reign as a Christian unless you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's sad to say that so much of the body of Christ still live under a sin mentality. Still live under a sin conscious mentality. And that's why we're not bold. You look at that image of a land. Boy, it has authority. That image of a land is courageous. That image of a land is taking no messing. It's standing up and it's saying, I'm here. It's the king of the jungle. 
And, um, and, and we're not the king of the jungle in ourselves. Let me tell you, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the righteous are as bold as a lion because we're in him. And we're, we're like him and we, we, we are now found in him. Um, but that's what I'm going to look at for a bit this evening. But um, let me just start off by saying this. Has is is any of ever been somewhere where you have just felt awkward and out of place? Yes. Yeah? Like, like if, you, if you're invited maybe to something like a wedding or something and you don't know anybody and you go and you know what, you, just, you can just feel out of place or a party or something or, um, you know, you, you, know you, 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 meet a, you meet an old girlfriend or an old boyfriend or something and now you're walking down the street with the wife or whatever or the husband and, and you meet each other on the street and you know what, it's so awkward, you just can't wait to get past each other and move on. Um, it's just an awkward situation. But do you know what, many times in life we can find ourselves in awkward situations. For me, probably the most awkward you'll ever find me is meeting somebody for the first time. I mean, I am a disaster. I, I mean, it's bad. I, I don't know what it is about me. I just, my mind goes blank. I get odd, and any of you that know me know what I'm like. And I just, get, I just get odd and strange. Now, if I know you, I'll talk a leg off you like. But if I don't know you, it's, it just takes a while for me. There's no way sometimes people can just get in there. Like, like my brother Stephen. Stephen can meet somebody for the first time, and that's it. He knows everything about them. He has their phone number, and, he, and now they're, they're, they're meeting up, and they're going out for a meal or something. I, I just, I'm, I'm not that quick. At, I don't know. It's just, it's just not my personality. But I can be awkward in that situation and I really, it really stands out. I feel uncomfortable. I don't feel at home in that situation. There's other people that are brilliant at doing that. And um, so, you know, you make up for each other. That's why like in a, in a husband and wife relationship or a friendship relationship, you, you make up for each other. And um, But I'm just saying, I'm, that's me. I just feel so awkward in those situations. But, you know, sometimes like even a Christian, you know, you know Christians can feel awkward. And Christians can feel awkward in the wrong place. I, I mean, Christians can feel awkward in the presence of God. Do you, do you ever meet somebody and they're completely different? As a Christian, just talking open here tonight, okay? Do you ever meet, sometimes you meet a Christian and they're the life and soul of the party until they go to church and then they just turn into this completely weird, strange, religious person? They talk different. Do you know, they become all reverent. You know, you know what I'm talking about? All reverent and all straight and all rigid. Yet once the service is over and they get outside again, boy, they're the life and soul of the party until they go in around a religious atmosphere again. And they just feel uncomfortable. Not, not, they don't feel at home in the same way they're there, but they, they're, they're, not, they don't have a, a relationship of, of they're really pleasing with God. They have a relationship that God's a holy, awesome God, which he is. But you know what, but the, the reality of it is, is God's a holy, awesome God, but he's still your father. And you can feel at home in his presence. And you can be in the presence of God and not, and not feel awkward or not feel at a distance from God or not feel like God's really holy. And you know what, I'm away over here and I have to be distant from God. You know, really, that comes down to sin consciousness. That's what that is. And I've seen it over the years and sometimes it's hard to nail it. Sometimes you get around people and you know they're religious and you know they love God with all of their heart and you know they're born again, but you just know there's still a lot of religion that's still ingrained there in the thinking. And it spills over it spills over in the talk when they pray there's no boldness when they pray when they sing there's no boldness when they sing you know it's like you just have to as I shared the other day it's like, it's like you know you're, you're singing and it's like and you're so straight it's like no, no expression no joy it's like militant but I mean, you know, God 
wants us to have joy. God wants us to have expression. We, you know, when the prodigal son came home, there was joy in the father's house. They killed the fatted calf and they threw a party. And I'm telling you, in, in, in God's house, there's rejoicing. In God's house, there's praise. In God's house, there's freedom. And But you'll never do that in God's house unless you feel confident being around God. As in, like, not coming in aware of your sin, but coming, away, coming in aware that you're accepted in the father's house. And the only thing that does that is righteousness. Righteousness gives us acceptance with God. It lets us know we can come boldly to the throne of grace. In the old covenant, you know, um, you know, you had the holy of holies, and you know, only the high priest would go in there once a year. How many went in? He went in fear and trembling. Because you had to go through the whole order to get in there. And you didn't go in before the presence of God with confidence. And the Bible let us know that there was a veil there. And, and that was to signify the way was not made yet. But you know, in Jesus, that veil was ripped in two. When Jesus died, that veil was ripped, you know, from the, from the top to the bottom, signifying that the way into the presence of God now had come. And now through Jesus, we can come in there with boldness. And we can come before God knowing that we belong in the presence of God. Not awkward. Not awkward. Not like me meeting somebody for the first time and all awkward and strange and, you know, acting different. But, you know, you, you can actually run in. You, you can run, you know, through the holy place, so to speak, and right into the presence of God and run and, and jump up on your father's knee, so to speak, and feel at home in there. Where in the old covenant, they couldn't do that because there was such a, a respect of God's holiness. And God is a holy God. But here's the thing in Jesus, God made us holy. Amen. And that's why the Bible tells us to put on the new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. We can come right into the presence of God. But you know what gives us the boldness to do that? Is righteousness. And you know, uh, um, you'll never be bold as a Christian. And we talk about ruling and reigning. We're talking here about glorying in God. And our glory is to rule and reign in life. You'll not rule and reign in life without a revelation of righteousness because it makes you timid. Not having it, sin consciousness makes you timid. Sin consciousness makes you, and you become a beggar. You know, it's like, you know, coming before God, oh, please, God, oh, please, oh, please, oh, humble Father, all of these kind of things. Those kind of prayers, they're, they're out of sin consciousness. It can be saying the right things about God, but there's no confidence in the relationship. There's no joy in the relationship. There's no boldness. There's no taking the word of God and saying, God, this is what your word says. And, you know, when you get a revelation of righteousness, and thank God, you know, we're walking in that. But when you have a revelation of righteousness, you stop being a beggar. And you start being a proclaimer of what God's word says. You start to declare what God's word says. And you start to have authority in, in life and rule and reign in life. But it comes down to this awareness of righteousness. Amen. Look, look what um, Paul said here to Timothy. Paul said, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. And the word fear here is timidity. You know what? We're not meant to be timid. Now, there's a major difference between having a quiet personality and being timid. A quiet personality is just someone in themselves. They're a quiet person. They don't always need to be around noise and all of those kind of things. They don't need always, they're not always the, the screaming and the shouting, the life of the party like that, but they just enjoy being in company. They're, they're maybe quiet in nature. But there's a difference between being quiet in nature and being timid. T timidity is we have no boldness. Timidity is where you shy away from everything in life. To where, you, you know, you're timid towards life. But you know, look what Timothy said, or Paul said here to Timothy. God didn't give you a spirit of timidity. That doesn't come from God. 
And we don't need to be timid in God's presence. We don't need to come in, you know, like backing into God's presence like as if God, I don't really belong here. Or as I said earlier, this, this um, thing, I, I was brought up under this here um, mentality around church. Um, and it comes out of sin consciousness, really. And it's, uh, uh, I'm not putting down my upbringing or anything. I had a great upbringing and I had great people in my life, all of my life growing up, and great Christians in my life as well, who were great examples in so many ways. But you know what? But there's this term that you hear many times. You hear it a lot. I heard a lot growing up anyway about don't be, don't be irreverent in God's presence. You have to show reverence when you go into God's presence. Uh, you know, there's, there's a reverential fear which is to respect God for who he is. And you can respect God for who he is, rejoicing, shouting, screaming, and declaring who he is, and still have worshipful respect on the inside of you. But there's this false humility in religion of where you come before God and it changes you into this weird person to where you have no expression and no boldness, and you always have to be a, a, you know, reverential in the presence of God. Re- know who you're in the presence of, and you can know who you're in the presence of and know that you belong as well. It's like when I go home, I know I'm in the presence of my parents, and the Bible says you're to honor your father and your mother. But I don't go into my house backwards and coming in talking all weird when I go in. I can still be me and still be myself. In actual fact, I can have boldness and go and, you know, walk through the house like it's mine. I can go into the kitchen and open up the fridge like it's mine as well and start taking stuff out of it. Why? Because I belong in that house. And that's the way we're meant to be in the presence of God as well. We're meant to know we belong in God's house. You know, I, I always use this here illustration, but, you know, I can remember whenever I moved out, and notice like when you move out and you get your own fridge, and you're now you're putting your own stuff in, and you actually went to the shop and bought stuff, you know what I mean, instead of, instead of your, your mom buying it and sticking it in the fridge all of the years, but, you know, you, you go to the shop, and, or you go to the, your own house, and you buy stuff, and you put it in the fridge, and now, now like, that's mine now. But, you know, I, I can remember the first time I went home. I went in acting all weird. For the first time I was saying, uh, um, Mom, do you see um, that, that can there? Can I drink that? Or, Mom, is it, um, can, I, can I make myself... I was all canna. Can I make myself a sandwich? Or is it okay to eat that? Do you know what I mean? Because it was like as if now I had my own place when I come there. It was nearly like I was coming in like that still wasn't my house. And I can remember my mom saying, Don't you dare ever ask me, you know, can you have something out of the fridge? Whatever's in that fridge is yours. And you know, that's the way it is for us as children of God. Whatever God has put in his fridge... It belongs to us as well, and if you understand it, not that God has a fridge. Some people can get religious. Huh? Just in case a CD goes to somebody, <laughs> think God has a fridge. I was talking one day, remember that there, I was talking on football. Remember that there, remember that time I said, um, what do you call it, God loves football, and I was saying it as a joke. And there was a guy in the meeting, and he stood up at the back, and he started screaming at me, how dare you, that is so irreverential, God does not like football, there's nothing about football in the Bible, and I was like, it was a joke, I made a joke, like, but you know, God doesn't have a fridge, okay, it doesn't say anything about a fridge, okay, (laughs) but he does lay a table before us in the presence of our enemies, the Bible says, but, you know, what I'm saying is this, you can come into God's presence with boldness, 
and know that you belong. You belong in the presence. Once you receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, I tell you, you should feel at home in his presence. And there's, the only thing that will make you feel like that is a revelation of righteousness. Anything else will, will cause you to feel like, I can't be like that because God's God's, God, man's man. You know what, I'm, I'm born in sin and all of this kind of stuff. You know, that mentality, which is, it's, it's, it's a truth. Until you meet Jesus. And then Jesus changes your life. And then you can come into the presence of God. Amen. Now, here's another verse here just before I move on. Um, well, this isn't, I've added on to this. But you know, the Bible says in Proverbs that the, the righteous are as bold as what? a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. I've just added on. They're not as timid as a mouse. And sometimes as Christians, we can be timid. We can be timid with the promises of God. We can be timid in prayer. We can be timid as we face life. We can be timid even in ministry. You know, uh, um, you know, uh, even as a minister, I, 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 I'm not meant to minister in a timid fashion. I'm not meant to minister, you know, like we behind behind and whispering out of fear and trembling. And I know sometimes getting up can, can be fear and trembling to get up in front of people. But I tell you, when God comes on you, God wants you to minister in boldness and authority because you never know who's sitting in a meeting who needs what you're, you're ministering and needs, needs an answer. And we don't need to become timid talking about this great God, but that he's so distant. No, we need to be talking about a God that's ever-present and, and able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Amen. Praise God. I'm excited. <laughs> I know you are too. But I'm excited about that because this is something that I just love. I love, I love teaching on righteousness. Here's a, here's a, um, here's a saying that we've, we've heard over the years. And that is that, you know, there's, uh, um, you're just an old, unworthy sinner saved by grace. Do you know, that, that, that's not true. There's no such a creature. That's the way I put that across. There is no such a creature as an old, unworthy sinner and someone who's saved by grace. You can be an old, unworthy sinner, or you can be saved by grace, but you can't be both. Because if you were an old, unworthy sinner, and then you met Jesus. And Jesus changed it, and now you're saved by grace. But if you're saved by grace, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And, that's, and, and really, it's an identity. You can live with a sin complex or you can live with a righteousness complex. And a righteousness complex doesn't make you, it doesn't give you self-confidence. It gives you confidence in who you are in Christ. All the glory goes to him. It's all who he is and what he's done in your life. And you, you live out of who you are in him, not who you are in yourself. And it's what he done for us. And um, I just want to look at these here, a couple of things here for a moment. And ju just look, at, just look at, at, at man and, you know, that man fell and how actually we now are the righteousness of God. And I just really want to kind of lay something here um, this week. And I want to probably get into righteousness consciousness next, next time we're together. And um, talk about uh, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And how to develop that consciousness. Because that's how we're meant to live. We're not to live with a mentality that we're under sin. We're not to be living with a, a, an awareness. Living under sin. You cannot glory under sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a truth. That was in the fall. 
But I'm telling you, in Christ Jesus brought us back to a position of glory. And a, a sin consciousness will not cause us to rule and reign. And, um, you know, I just want to look at this here just for a moment. Look here, Genesis chapter 2 for a second. It says here, And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it for in the day that thou shalt eat thereof thou shalt surely die and where it says here thou shalt surely die in the Hebrew the word surely is die and then obviously the other word there is die and really what it's saying is if you eat of the fruit Adam you will die die or in dying you see that sometimes in many translations in dying you shall die or you would die the day you eat of it but you wouldn't physically die you would die and death would just simply means you'd be separated from God in your spirit you'd be separated from God how many know your sins separated separated you from God um, and, you, and you'd be separated from God but then Adam didn't die physically for no 930 years but when he had of that fruit he did die Okay, But it wasn't until 930 years later that he died physically. But he did die. He was separated from God. And really that's where sin came in. And, but when God made Adam, Adam wasn't a sinner. When God made Adam, Adam was righteous. Because God's righteous and Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. But when Adam sinned, Adam fell. And Adam came under sin. And this is, this is really important to understand this because Adam was the first man. And whatever was true of Adam was true of everybody who came after him. Because every seed reproduces after its own kind. Now if Adam sinned, which he did, and God said, the day you eat it, you'll surely die. What happened was when Adam, at that, he came, at that of the fruit, he came under sin. And you see, under righteousness, Adam could rule and reign. But when Adam sinned, it was just he dropped, he fell short of the glory of God. And instead of living the way God intended him to live, he started to live under sin, under the sin condition. And you know what? That's the way it is for every person who comes into this planet because every single one of us came from Adam. When you trace it right back, we all came from Adam. And, and look, look um, just like to look at it this way, do you know what? It's just like a virus carrier. You know, if somebody carries a virus, you know what? They can just keep passing that to someone else and passing it to someone else and passing it to someone else. Well, if you look at sin in the same way as a virus, Adam, sin is not a virus. It's a condition. But like a virus, it could be passed. And you know what? Adam fell and sinned and came short of the glory of God and he came under this sin condition. But you know what? Every single person who came after Adam had that exact same sin condition. And that's why we all had that sin condition as well. Um, but the only answer to the sin condition is an antidote. And do you know what the antidote is? Jesus. Jesus is the antidote. And when you receive Jesus, you're set free from sin. Jesus is the answer. And you can only be set free through Jesus. So, you know, man fell. And man fell short of the glory of God. And man became a sinner. Now, here, here's something you need to understand here as well. No way this isn't working. But, um, man's problem is not sins. Okay? Man's problem is sin. Singular. 
Man's problem is not sins. In other words, man's problem is not his actions. You're not a, a, you're not a sinner because you, 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 you have actions of sin. You're a sinner because you have a condition. It is not actions. It's actually a position. And this is really important. You see, whenever you go to the book of Romans, and just throw us out here this evening, but in the book of Romans, when you go to the book of Romans, the word sin is mentioned throughout the whole book of the book of Romans. And it's shown man's condition and shown man became a sinner. Um, but it's also shown man was set free from sin as well in the book of Romans. But here's the thing in the book of Romans. Most times that the word sin is used in the book of Romans, it is a noun. And a noun is a, 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 a person, place, or thing. So when you talk about um, sin as a noun, it's not talking about an action, which is a verb. It's talking about a condition. You're in a place of sin, in other words. Does that make sense? So when you look at the book of Romans, don't be thinking in the book of Romans when you read through it, thinking about sins. Most of the verses there have to do with, um, with sin as, as a noun. And in actual fact, there's, there's, there's 50 odd verses there that deal with sin as a noun. And there's only a, a handful that deal with sin as a verb. And so when you go to, you go to the book of Romans and you, see, and you see the word sin, the majority of time it's not talking about people's actions, it's talking about a condition. You're not a sinner because you sin, okay, with actions. You, you sin with actions because of a condition. It all comes back to a condition. And what the book of Romans is showing, that man is not a sinner because of his actions. Man is a sinner because that's what he was born into. He was born into a condition. He was born into a position of sin. And he was born a slave to sin. And sin has nothing got to do with the action. Yes, you can sin outwardly. But really the root of it was is the condition. When Adam sinned in the garden, he became a sinner by nature, not by his actions. Amen. Hey, when you carry that thinking over to righteousness, it's great. Because here's the thing. You, as a sinner, a sin condition, all your good works could never get you out of the condition because that's where you were in a position of sin. So your good works couldn't get you out of sin. But let me tell you, once you come over into righteousness, I want you to know your bad works can't get you out of righteousness either. Because it, what Adam did bound you to sin. And you couldn't free yourself. There's nothing you could do to free yourself. There's only one person could free you. Amen? So all of your goodness could never get you out of that position. The only way you can get out of that is to put faith in Jesus and be born again. To be a sinner, you had to be born. You were born in sin. Okay? Now, it's not put on the credit of a child until they come to an age of understanding. That's a different thing. Um, but, there, but, but sin is still there. And it's not until, you know, that wakes up and sin revives, as it says over in, in Romans, then you're accountable for it. But, uh, uh, but you're born in sin. The only way to get out of that is to be born again. You can't work your way out of sin. You can only put faith in Jesus and be delivered out of sin that way. But, th but this is so important because what Adam did bound you in sin and there's no way of getting free from it. Well, let me tell you what Jesus done for you was greater. And once you're the righteousness of God, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. That's who you are. It's a condition. Just like Adam made us all a sinner, let me tell you, Jesus brought us to a place of righteousness. Amen. It's, 
But we have to see that. We have to know that. We have to know that we're not a sinner because of, you know, anything that we have done. You, you were a sinner. You were a sinner when you were born, not because of anything you did. You were a sinner because of what Adam did. But likewise, the same way when people say, oh, I couldn't say I'm the righteousness of God. Well, it's nothing got to do with you, what you did. You can't say you're righteous because you, and take the credit for it. You're not righteous because of your actions. You're righteous because of what Jesus done. And you just believed in Jesus. And he put, sin, or he put righteousness to your account. It made you righteous. But you'll either live out of one of these two identities. You're either going to live out of a sin identity... And sin will lower you down and cause you to feel like you can't come before God. It'll cause you to feel distant from God. It'll cause you to feel like you're awkward in the presence of God. But you see, righteousness, righteousness gives you the ability to stand in the presence of a holy, awesome God without the sense of inferiority or guilt, as though you never, ever, ever, ever sinned. Although sin had nothing to do with you. When God sees you now, He doesn't see you in your sin. When God sees you now, He sees you in Christ. And he sees you're righteous. And that's why when we come before God, we don't need to hold our head down. We can come with respect in our heart and knowing who he is. But we can also come knowing who we are in Christ. And that we can come before him in boldness now. It's, it's a completely different thing. But Adam made everybody a sinner. And he, these, these are the kind of verses where people get mixed up here. You know, see like, here you'll hear people say, well, I, I couldn't believe in righteousness. Because the Bible says there's no one righteous, no not one. And the Bible does say that, but it says it at the beginning of the book of Romans. And it's letting people know that without Jesus, your condition was a sinner. And without Jesus, you were not righteous. You need a savior is really what it's saying. Um, look what it says here. What then are we better than they? No, in no ways. Talking about the Jews here and the Gentiles. Talking about the Jews saying, are we better? No, nobody's better. Some people had an advantage, but that doesn't mean to say they were better. Um, are we better? No, in no ways. For we have before proved both Jew and Gentile that they are all what? All under sin. And here, it's not talking here about sins. This is talking about a sin nature. This is saying everybody, didn't matter who you were, didn't matter what color your skin was, didn't matter what age you were, didn't matter what sex you were, it didn't matter anything, your, your upbringing, nothing. doesn't matter whether you, know you have much or whether you have little. Everybody was born under sin. There's not a person that was, wasn't. And then it says, there's no one righteous, no, not one. That's letting us know that there's not a person that qualifies. Amen. But you know what? This is good in the sense of there's no one righteous, no, not one. But I'm telling you, Jesus died for all. So that means we all qualify, no matter how good or how bad you were. You, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're, you're a good sinner or you're a bad sinner, you're still a sinner. And Jesus died for sinners. Amen. Um, and that's what is shown here in Romans. And I'm getting somewhere here in a second just to show us why righteousness is so important. And you want to rule and reign, you have to know that you're righteous. And you have to be confident in it. And I, I, I'm sure all of us probably here had a, had a religious enough. Well, maybe not some of the younger ones there. I'm talking about Jason, the younger ones. <laughs> no, but some of the ones that were brought up in church and um, different things. But, you know, if you, most people here in this country, you know, if you were brought up with a religious background. Brought up with a, a, a real awareness of sin. So from pulpits has preached sin consciousness week in, week out in some places. Just always making you aware that you're a sinner, aware that you're a sinner, you're aware you're a sinner. 
But I tell you, we were a sinner, but we're not anymore with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you were brought up like me with an awareness of sin, and then you heard that now in Christ you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I tell you, it was very hard to say that. I think it's been that difficult at the start even to say it. It was like, you know, you nearly said, I'm the righteousness of God, and then you repented. It was like, no, 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 I can't be true. And you, it was like all of this religious, you know, conviction came upon you. You know, that's, that's wrong. I'm meant to be respectful in God's hand. I can't come before. I can't talk like that. I, God's holy. And, but we're bypassing all of the work of Jesus when we're like that. I know the first time I said I was the righteousness of God, I said in fear and trembling. I was, I was sort of looking at the side of me, I was expecting a lightning bolt kind of a thing because you had that impression of God that God, God was out to get you kind of a thing. And it was always, you know, God was always ticked off with you. No matter what you did, you didn't feel like you ever done enough. And the reality of it was we never ever could do enough. But when you receive Jesus, Jesus makes you righteous. And I can remember saying that for the first time and it was... I, I, I said, kind of like, you know, I half-heartedly said it just to see was it still alive at the end of it kind of a thing because of religious fear. But I'm telling you, see when you get a revelation of the Word of God and you see in the Scriptures who God made you, you can actually start to know God. The work that Jesus did in my life was actually so much greater than what Adam did and that I can come before you now with boldness and with confidence. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share these here, a couple of Scriptures here in Romans for a second. And then um, we'll close the we'll close this evening, and we'll and praise God. We'll take it up the next time. But really, what it's showing here is um, it's, it's showing at the start there. It's showing now we uh, now we know that all things whatsoever the law says, saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and that all the world may become guilty. This is what Romans was doing. It was bringing people to a place of knowing that you're guilty before God. You need a savior. It's not about how good you are and any of those kind of things. It's about a condition of your heart. So the law was given to show man that there's a problem. It's just like, you know, it's like um, if you get a splinter in your finger, the law, the law was there to, to draw it out, to let you know that there was a, a problem there. The law was, the, you know, like you put a poultice on to draw something out. Well, that's the way the law was. The law drew out the sin nature to let you know that, that you have a problem. And so the law was given, and what the law would say is, Thou shalt not. And then someone on the inside of you would say, I shall. And it's like Paul said, I wouldn't have known what, how to, what covetousness was until the Bible says, Thou shalt not covet. And it was just like it woke up all of these desires of lust. Now, the law doesn't put the desires in you. They're already there. And what it does is it draws it out and lets you know, There's a problem here, guys. You need a saviour. And so it's saying here that the law showed man that there's a problem. That's why by the laws, it says there, by the laws, the knowledge of sin. The law doesn't bring revelation of righteousness. It exposes your problem. And it's, it's like you look in the mirror and you, and you just see all of the problems. And it exposes all of the problems. But the law can't fix the problems. But it can point you to the one who can, who is Jesus. And this is what the law does. Um, in verse um, tw 21, but it says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested. In other words, what it's saying here, guys, there's a way to become righteous apart from trying to keep do's and don'ts. You don't have to keep do's and don'ts to be righteous. You have to just believe in Jesus, and that's what it's showing here. But it's showing here that it's for everybody. And um, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, 
um, of Jesus Christ. Look at this, unto all and upon all them that believe. Why? Because there's no difference. You know why there's no difference? Because all had sinned and came short of what? The glory of God. See, this was the problem. This, this is what the, the law was given to let people know you need a savior. The law was given to show man you have a problem and the problem is you're a sinner in need of a savior. But good news, Jesus came and died and he took all your sin and not alone did he take the acts, he took the condition and he took your place so that you could now stand in his place. Amen? And so that you, you could stand boldly. Now there's a way for you to become righteous. Before it said there's no one righteous, no, not one. But once you meet Jesus, now Jesus will make you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what it's saying. And we need to come through that with a... Not alone, once you receive Jesus, you are righteous. But you need to come through that and then take on the mentality of it. That you actually are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never rule and reign without a revelation of righteousness. You'll be timid Christian, an awkward Christian, coming before God like this. Instead of coming before God with boldness. And coming before God knowing who you are. One verse here, and I'll, I'll close here, and I'm going to come back to this again. But I read this out last week, but it says, But not by the offense of one, so death reigned by one. Much more they which receive the abundance of grace and what? And the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. This is why I'm sharing this. You cannot rule and reign in life without a revelation of righteousness. It just can't. It can't happen. Now, when you receive Jesus, you've already overcome the world. But in our everyday life, we have to live that as well. But it can only happen in our life by the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. And if we're robbed of that, and I know we're not, we're not, we, thank God we understand this. But if you're robbed of that revelation of who you are in Christ, it'll affect how you live your life. Do you know you'll live out of your identity? Do you know if you see yourself as a sinner, do you know you'll live that way? You'll always live beat down. You'll always live with this false humility. But whenever you've an understanding of righteousness, you know you belong in God's house. You know all the promises of God are yes and amen. You know God wants you to succeed and to prosper and do great things in life in his name and for his glory and bring glory to him. But the only way we can do that is with an understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. And you know what, I just, want, I just want to leave it there this evening and just declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I'm going to take that up again um, next week. But I have a couple of things here to share on that. But I tell you, you see, once you, that revelation hits in, and thank God we have that revelation, but we just need to hear it again, and hear it again, and hear it again. Religion makes you timid. Religion gives a false humility. Religion takes away our boldness and our confidence in our God. And makes us feel awkward, distant, uncomfortable around God. But I'm telling you, righteousness causes you to run into the arms of Jesus. You feel you belong. You know God's with you. 
You know God's for you. You can speak with confidence. And you start to take on this attitude that comes from the lion. You start to get his roar in you. And you start to speak with boldness and confidence and authority. But it's not you roaring. Without Jesus, I, I like to put it this way, without Jesus, you're, you're Clark Kent. Amen. But with Jesus, you're Superman. And with Jesus, you can roar. With Jesus, you can speak. And, you know, as he is, so are we in this world. We can be imitators of God as dear children, and we can start acting like him. But it comes out of an identity that we are the righteousness of God.